Today's Skim from the Couch is presented by Goldman Sachs' 10,000 Women. A lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs, businesswomen, and just generally interested in things like personal finance and investing. So a lot of you are probably familiar with Goldman Sachs, but did you know that they have a program that helps thousands of women-led businesses grow and succeed? Yep, it is called 10,000 Women. Why? Because they have helped over 10,000 women achieve real business goals in over 50 countries worldwide. And when these businesses thrive, it leads to economic growth and stronger communities. Stay tuned. More to come on that. I'm Danielle Weisberg. And I'm Carly Zakin, and we are the co-founders of The Skim. You're listening to our podcast, Skimmed from the Couch, where we talk to other female entrepreneurs about what it's like to get to the top and then what it's like along the way. We're talking bad advice, the really, really low days, the management mistakes, everything that goes into the real stuff. No BS. We started The Skim from a Couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it all began? We're on a couch. Join us in welcoming Tori Birch to the couch. You know her as the woman and the name behind so many of your favorite clothes. But way before she created those iconic Riva flats, she built a career in fashion PR, working for designers like Ralph Lauren and Vera Wang. Tori eventually made the switch from PR to designing her own clothes and running her own business. Now she's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Tori Birch LLC, the company she started in 2004. Back then, it was just one store in New York City. But now, there are more than 250 Tory Burch stores, and her clothes are sold in more than 3,000 department and specialty stores around the world. In 2009, she launched the Tory Burch Foundation to help empower female entrepreneurs. And today, she's got a brand new initiative to help get out the vote. And you know how we feel about voting. Go do it. Tori, welcome to the couch. Thank you. Is it this couch? Uh, no, no, that couch was gross. Yeah, thankfully. Um, Very nice. it I was, was going to say nice couch. Yeah, it was bought uh, secondhand, and so by the time we went through it, it was like fifth was hand gross. by that point. So Good. Yeah. you're nice and scrappy starting Yes. Out. So let's go back to your beginning. Um, did you always know you wanted to be in fashion? You know, not at all. When I was growing up, I was a complete tomboy and barely put on a dress. And uh, after graduating from college, I got into fashion because I took a job instead of going into the art world. And it was a, a, a bit of a random thing. I was reading kind of old profiles about you and um, people that, that knew you said you always had an interesting sense of style. <laughs> and I, I, I'm like looking at you well, now. Well, I was teased. Well, <laughs> I know, but I was like, I'm like, how are you, are you, how are you a tomboy? I'm like, I, it's like the opposite of what I, what I think about you. So well, I, I love I, sports. So it was yeah. combining athletics and then maybe an Hermes scarf and <laughs> some outerwear. You know, as, as a child does. Hi, Lo. <laughs> um, you started your career in fashion PR. What did that trigger in you? What did you learn along the way to start? I, mean, I learned a lot. I, I would say everywhere I worked, I picked up different skills that helped me when I began to think about the idea of starting my own company. But certainly um, being measured and patient and looking at things differently. I think typically PR for me and, and my personality don't go hand in hand. And I, I like to be a little bit more of an observer, not such an extrovert. And I think um, that's not always a positive when you're in PR. So I had to look at PR in a more entrepreneurial way. 
and also the idea of building a brand. It was when 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 I worked at Ralph Lauren, I'd met Vera Wang. She was a family friend, and then she was trying to go from being considered a bridal designer into ready to wear. So she was really trying to establish herself differently. And so when I started there, I think I was 27. It was a big job. I was running her PR and. And she added advertising to that. And so I had to think about things differently. And it, it made me um, really look at um, how to build the concept of a brand and where did where did I start? So when you talk about a concept of a brand, uh, you not too long after came up with one. Uh, and um, with, with your then husband started Tory Burch LLC. And um, I'm always fascinated why you chose to name it Tory Burch. Um, knowing, and, and as you said, you know, a little bit more on the introverted side, like, Putting yourself out there like that. I didn't actually. the The, the first name was Tori by TRB, and that was after trying to get about ten different names. Um, that said, to your point, I didn't want to put myself out there, and it was a year and a half after the company began. And I don't know if you know Kenny J Lane. He just passed away last year. It was amazing, and he had this incredible costume jewelry company. He took me out to dinner, and he said, "It's a terrible name, Tori by TRB. Change it. Everyone's calling it Tori Birch anyway." And so, a year and a half after I launched the company, I had to rethink all of the branding. And I changed it. Were there any of those 10 names that you look back now and you're like, that one was actually pretty good? I thought all of them were good. That's <laughs> it. I couldn't yeah. get any of them. It's really tough to get a name. What does that mean exactly? A lot of um, our audience are, are people that want to dive into starting their own company. And I think we all know there's so much that goes into it, like getting a name. Well, getting a name, know. a lot of people have just um, taken out trademarks on different names. And it's, it's virtually impossible, unless it's your own name, to get a name that you, it's, it's hard to think of a name that hasn't been already thought of. The first time you got any sort of critical feedback, whether in fashion press or like anything out there, and you saw it was about your own name. What is that? Like, I can't even imagine that oh, because of, You know, listen, I think you, you have to be prepared to thicken your skin if you're going to start a company. That's advice I got from my parents. And they said, this is going to be a journey. And you have to not read a lot of things, not care about a lot of things. You have to have your own point of view and believe in yourself. And so I think whenever you get criticism, it's not always easy, but it's part of it. And that's just hopefully you can learn from it. And sometimes it's valid, sometimes it's not. But it's always a good learning experience. Did naming the company after yourself, like being, you know, an, launching an eponymous company, did it make the stakes higher for you? I think it did. I think there's something that's nice to sort of go in, under a different name and, and have that, that privacy. And certainly being a private person, it's always a balance of being okay with what is out there and, and, and protecting your family, protecting my three boys and my three stepdaughters. So it's always um, a give and take. And, and you have to be interesting. You can't be boring. You have to be able to um, tell some things, but certain things are off limits. What's the worst mistake you made when starting out? Oh, God, there's so many mistakes. I, I, I have to, like, really go down the list. I mean, I think um, not having any experience uh, being in being a CEO or a designer, I think um, – some of the ways I looked at product, even when Bergdorf Goodman came in for our first appointment and they said, I, I said, I don't like stretch <laughs> and dance. <laughs> and well, they, they said, nothing will sell. And they were absolutely right. You have to learn about sort of what your customer wants. And sometimes it's not always how you see it and things that you love. Um, that said, it, it's always, as I said, a learning curve. One thing I did learn that has served me well is surrounding myself with incredible people and, and never being um, shying away from bringing that talent in. 
and 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 never being um, afraid of it. I think a lot of times people do get scared to have more talented people than yourself around, and that's something I I really thrive on. Are you good at building teams? I think so. I think one thing I've learned is how to be a good manager, and and that's something that um, is isn't inherent. It, you have to learn that skill, and I think you want to. Um, it, involve people in a way that innovates them, but also give them autonomy, but also have a direction and a point of view. So it's it's finding, again, that balance. So it's hard to talk about Tory Burch, the company, without talking about Tory Burch, the person, and Chris Burch, and what went on there, especially <laughs> It's very easy to talk about Tory Burch, the company, without talking about <laughs> yeah. Chris Burch. But um, from a management perspective, uh-huh. right? And we talk about on this show all the time. Like, how, how do you start something alone? How do you find a good business partner looking back? And sometimes it works out and sometimes yes. it doesn't. I think I was married to Chris and it was a good thing in the beginning. We just saw things very differently. And when you have a partner, you have to be fundamentally aligned on how you see building the business, how you see the way you treat people, not that I'm saying anything about Chris, but how you see raising money, how you see building a business, whether it's full price selling or promotions. There's so many ways that you can go and you just have to have that alignment. People come to us all the time and ask about how to find a co-founder. and They do? That's interesting. All the time. And our thoughts about finding a co-founder and like, are they better off going at it alone? So, And our feeling is like, having a co-founder is like a marriage whether you actually are married to that person or not were you guys friends before yeah Yeah. we were and doesn't always work out no no we we talk about that a lot actually we we don't tell people to find a friend yeah we're like would you would say the opposite yeah so i'm curious when people come to you and or if someone came to you and said like hey like i have this idea do you think i'm better to do it alone or you know i feel like i should find someone to do it with how what is the advice you give about um, kind of starting out? I mean, I don't think I, I don't think there's one exact method to to this, and I think you have to know what you're capable of. You have to know your strengths. I mean, Chris was not involved day to day in the business. He helped me do the fundraising in the beginning. So, for me, it was you know, finding the people that really helped me. Build. We're, we're entrepreneurial enough to grow it out of my kitchen, as you did off your couch. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I don't think there's a science to that. I think you can have a co-founder, and that's great, but you should make sure you have different skills. How, how, do you guys have a different skill set, that you, or it's do you just work no, we, together? Yes well. and no. We do and we don't. Yeah. Uh, I think we're very different people, and we have different management styles yeah. and different personalities, but I think we're stronger when we're together because we both bring different approaches to product. Um, we have the same vision of the brand. Yeah, also, but, so I think that's important. The difference yeah. is like – or not the difference, like the thing that's like unique about us as a co-founder relationship is it's not like one of us was the technical one and one of us was the creative. Like we have this exact same like vocational training. Yeah. So uh, that that's the part that I think we're unique in the co-founding space. But I think, you know, in and I promise we'll move on after this. No, but no, I, I don't I care. I don't mind about, at all. <laughs> uh, is how do you manage a team through something like that? It's hard. Yeah. I mean, I we've been through a lot. I'm constantly surprised by how well and resilient my team has been over the years. But I think you have to think about things as grace under pressure. And hopefully I have a bit of that. And I'm definitely very calm as a person. So if, if you or, or I, as a leader, am not frenetic and excited all the time you know you have to you have to lead with a bit of calm and and i get more focused when when things get a little bit crazy where do you like 
get that calm from? And what do you do? The stress has to go somewhere. So what, what do you? I know, I know. People sometimes hold my hand to look for my pulse. My father <laughs> was incredibly calm. My mom is the opposite. So I definitely inherited it from my dad. What do you do to de-stress? Um, well, I love sports. I love hanging with my children, a nice bath. I love reading. I don't get a lot of time to do that. Music. We'll get right back to our conversation, but our talk about Goldman Sachs got me thinking about something else women in business should invest their time in, networking. It's been a big thing for us, helping us with literally everything under the sun. Um, we would be nothing without the network that we developed early on um, and that we really had to build from scratch in order to get the scam off the ground. Uh, we are really lucky because we have always had each other to be the other person's wing woman. But we know that so many other women do not have that kind of access to networking opportunities or a Carly or Danielle. <laughs> Goldman Sachs founded the 10,000 Women Program, which works to provide female business owners with more opportunities like networking and education to grow and build their businesses. So much of business is building relationships and paying it forward. And 10,000 Women believes that when women lead businesses, they lift their entire communities and economies thrive. In fact, as part of their program, nearly 60% of program graduates create new jobs in their communities. Learn more about Goldman Sachs 10,000 Women at gs.com slash 10kw. I know. I mean, I remember when the Reba flat came out, right? And it was, it seemed like it was a hit overnight. And for those who don't know what we're talking about, it's like, it's the Tory Burch Ponvis flat with, with yes. the gold buckle. What was it like when that popped? Did it pop overnight or was that I just the it perception? It pretty much did in a way. I mean, we sort of had it a bit in the in the beginning seasons, but all of a sudden it was everywhere and, and we were holding back distribution for sure. So it was exciting. I, I, to this day, will always be excited seeing people wearing our clothing. I will never be jaded by that. I want to talk about your Oprah moment. Yeah. What was that like? I can't even imagine. It was amazing. I'd never been on TV. And um, it was the first year of business. And I thought it was a joke when she, when her team called. And I thought one of my brothers was playing a joke on me. And so I said, I'd be happy to go on her show. And when I got there, she said, it's, don't worry, it's 30 million viewers. So you, you've never been on TV. So it was, it was amusing. I, w I was honored. And, and the next day, we had 8 million hits on our website. Did you know, like walking onto that stage, like this is going to be a game changer for I us? didn't. I didn't. I was told that. But I, I don't think you can really know that until it actually happens. And and certainly ha launching with e-commerce in 2004 was a bit different, too. We launched with a retail store mm -hmm. and an e-commerce site. Back then, people told me no one would ever buy online. So it was a waste of money and time. And we were lucky to have that when Oprah came around because we had that place where people could go. I'm curious to your thoughts on kind of where, um, you know, we see – so many startups coming up and, you know, sending stuff for us to put in front of our audience. And, you know, this this wave of direct-to-consumer is, is fascinating to watch and watch brands revamp. Um, what, like, talk to us just sort of your thoughts around, like, where that, that industry is going and, and the, the direct-to-consumer play. Well, our business is 80% direct-to-consumer, and ha that has always been our strategy. So I think it's a, a really important time to have that business. That said, you need to have, depending on your business, we had wholesale that helped us build our business over the years. But we always knew that we wanted to reach our customer directly and have that ability. So I think there's that's a very good strategy. When you think about, um, you know, for us, one of the hardest things starting out is, you know, you're doing everything you can and building a brand to get it in front of eyeballs. And there's, you know, if you're lucky to have partnerships come up and, and to, to have opportunities, it's like, 
you're like, is this a, actually a way to leverage my business or brand or is this a distraction? And there's obviously so much opportunity in the fashion space um, to have partners and you, you have partnered before, but like, how do you weigh, how do you weigh what's, when is something is worth your time versus when it's I a mean, distraction? I, to your point, I think you have to be super careful and everything always seems great in the beginning and then we weigh it. And I would say we say no to 96% of what comes our way. And it can be very diluted very quickly. And that's something that I'm very proud of our company is that we're very pure. We don't do a lot of partnerships. That said, were you I, always like that? We always have been like that. And I think we've had many opportunities over the years. And and I think we still are looking at opportunities all the time. And we will do some partnerships. And we have done what some. What do you but think carefully. about a skim flat? A skim flat? Yeah. Like you could just put <laughs> well, like a skim I, I, in gold on the top. I, I think there's something very <laughs> yeah. interesting about it. There's also a good it, 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 it ties back to something in the 20s. There was something <laughs> called skimmer and shoes. Oh, um, I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Um, one thing you... I think has been so interesting to watch. Um, And I remember watching when you launched the Tory Burch Foundation, um, and I was not in this business yet. I was looking at- Do you remember when we launched? Well, I remember probably when I first, it's actually interesting, when I first paid attention to the foundation was in 2010, uh, 2009, 2010, and it was my first pitch to the Today Show Ugh. when I was a producer at mm-hmm. NBC News, thinking that it was so different and it was such an interesting model. Um, and they didn't take the pitch from me. Um, <laughs> and uh, you probably work with them, but me, like being a, a assistant at the time, just was trying to to think about ways to be proactive, and that was one of the first things I pitched. Um, now I look at it as such an interesting example well, of how you can. There take wasn't a- much to cover in 2009 mm-hmm. because we just launched, and one th- it was part of our business plan from the very beginning. But one thing I was really careful with. And until now, we we didn't want it to be talked about in a big way. We wanted to have real impact and scale before we really were out there. And so I would say in the last three years, we've now had real impact and scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so back then, we had to build it. And it's, it's a very different time. I mean, we were talking about women's issues since 2004 and people looked at me like I was crazy when I went to raise money I was told never to say business and social responsibility in the same sentence and now companies aren't innovative without that so it's very exciting to see that that change yeah I think that was you know now looking at it as a business owner I'm such I'm amazed by the fact that you've been able to grow a company that has so many different divisions and also start something like that and bake it, kind of weave it together. Well, and something I didn't know in the beginning is, and I, I suspected, but what has proven true is that the foundation has helped build the company in a very healthy way. And it was never meant to do that, but it's been this incredible part of our company where we have people want to, wanting to work at our company because of it. It's great for our employees and it's great for our, our customers. For our listeners who don't know much about the foundation. What's, yeah. what's the 30 second So we pitch? support women entrepreneurs in, in the United States for now um, through access to capital, education, and mentorship and, and um, a fellowship program. Tell us about your management style. So I, well, you'd have, you'd have to ask my team, but I think um, I, I'm definitely an optimist. And I think that with entrepreneurs is an important aspect to how they can get people to believe in their vision. But um, I, I hope that I'm uh, open-minded. Uh, that, that said, I hope I'm one that celebrates another people's gifts and, and surrounds myself with people that are doing great things. And 
I, 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 it's hard for me to talk about. Tell me about your management skills. Oh, gosh, I'm learning. <laughs> but it's, it's important, and you want to be there for your team, but you also want to inspire them, and you want to... I'm always interested in our company being thought of as a day one. And I, I listened to Jeff Bezos saying that is very true at our office. It's we're, we're never just set in our ways. We're always evolving. I'm always interested in, in change, but but not in a, um, a crazy way. We have to be thoughtful and strategic. When you think about the earliest days of the business, what do you think has evolved? Like, what's an example of something that you've evolved on? Um, God, there's so many from where we produce products to the way we look at our collections. I've edited by 30 and 40 percent in some areas. Less is more, less product, product and more integrity. But that's across the board. We've always been scrappy. We've never advertised because we didn't have the budget in the beginning. But what what I've learned is that by not advertising, you had to perfect other skills. Mm -hmm. So we're early adopters in every social platform. And we use social media and we use PR and we use marketing to build our company. What was the driving force to start the company in the beginning and what drives you today? I mean, it was really to start a foundation to create change and give back. And that's something that has always driven me. So it wasn't necessarily to have a fashion company. I knew that I always wanted to work. And when I worked at LVMH, my last job, and I got pregnant with my third son, it was what a lot of women face. I had to make a, a decision of whether I wanted a career and or be there for my three babies under the age of four. Oh and God. so I decided to leave a career I loved. And I was working at Loewe at the time. And um, I became a stay-at-home mom for four years. So I knew that I wanted to start a company. I spent four years figuring that out. And it was sort of what I was missing. And it was a simple idea. It was beautiful things that didn't cost a fortune. But it was because I wanted to start a foundation for women. What's the worst piece of advice you've gotten? I think it has to be when I went to raise money. And they said, never talk about business and social responsibility. And I think Clearly, that was bad so, advice. Clearly, so it, it drove me the other way. <laughs> but that, it was a very, it was not shocking. It was a given back then. That was in 2004? Yeah. And then I'm trying to think, like, Tom's came after. Everything right came after. after yeah. And it's like, you know, we, we definitely went. Well, last Christmas, I called one of the people that said that to me. And I said, it's really funny. I, I just came from this Time Fortune event where it says doing good <laughs> is good for business. And, and companies are not innovative without that. And he said, what do you want? And I said, well, check for the foundation. And so he said, here's a check. It's a one-time event. And I said, yes, until next year. <laughs> I think it's um, uh, it's been a huge shift in, in people's perceptions. And, and also, what's what's great for doing good business? You and you you come off as a very like as you said you're, you're very calm but you come off more on the introverted side than on the extroverted side. I do. I don't know. Is that true? Or? I I would say I'm a Gemini, so it's probably a bit of both. Okay. How do you um you know we we've had a lot of different um, leaders on on this show and um, we were talking to someone earlier today who described um, themselves as as a full introvert and how hard it is to to sort of get through that in, in business. How do, what, how do you find the balance of, you know, I love an example of a call like that where you obviously are being forceful and had a mission, but kind of did it in a, in maybe a quieter way than other people might Yeah, have for sure. I, I relate to that. I mean, I think I'm out of my comfort zone a fair amount and I've gotten okay with that. I think that's something that I am constantly thinking about in, in a way that's beneficial. And, and what I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, I would say most of the entrepreneurs we work with feel that way. When's the last time you had to negotiate for yourself? Every day. 
It's um, I yesterday at our board meeting. So it's it's um, interesting. I, I said to the partners of ours, I'm like, you guys are unbelievable. Just not straightforward. I'm very straightforward as a person. And that's something I don't find. I think women are much more straightforward mm -hmm. than men in business, at least when men are dealing with women in business. When you've had to negotiate salary increases or going into a job, negotiate your salary to start out, how do you do it? It's hard. It's it's something I've never totally mastered, and and still to this day it's hard. But at the same time, it should be equal pay should be given. It's not even possible in my mind that we're talking about it today as something that is so uniquely different for women and men. And I always say to our team that this is an issue of humanity. It should be it it should be given. It's not a favor. And and that's something that I think about before I go in and negotiate on anyone's behalf, including my own. So we love talking to our audience of skimmers every day, and one of the things that's great to hear is how many of them are starting their own businesses. But we also know that that means that they share some of the many challenges that we had when we first started out. So we are very, very excited to talk about HoneyBook, which is a business management platform for creative small businesses that we wish that we had had in our earliest days. It's perfect for whether you're a photographer, a designer, an event professional, or another entrepreneur in a creative field. You can save a ton of money a year by adding just some time-saving automation into your business. Because when you're on top of it, your clients are happy. Happy client, happy life. <laughs> not, not quite, but... <laughs> For a limited time, Skimmed from the Couch listeners can get 50% off the first year of HoneyBook with promo code SKIM, S-K-I-M-M. HoneyBook membership includes unlimited access to all features at one low monthly price. So go to HoneyBook.com today and use promo code SKIM to get started. Again, that's HoneyBook.com, promo code SKIM, S-K-I-M-M. What are you most excited about when you think about the future of your company? Oh, God. I mean, I'm super excited about so much. We've spent the last four years rethinking every aspect of our company, investing, pulling back, and focusing on very healthy – not that it wasn't, but it's a different time. We've pivoted, and we have um, are thinking about innovation and, um, as I said, less product, but more inspiring less product. and. Um, looking at different territories, looking at China, looking at Europe. And we're proud to be an American brand, but we definitely resonate globally. And I think that's because women globally are what inspires me. I've heard that there are constantly, especially, especially internationally, but um, that there are constantly lines outside your stores. <laughs> and I'm curious, like, have you seen that yourself? In I actually haven't, but I do have heard that, which is very how flattering. Did, like, how, I mean, do you just sort of like take a moment and you're like, how did this happen? I think the, I always take a moment. I The one thing I am is super present and always aware. I'm not like, I'm always living at the, in the moment and, and just being appreciative. And I think that's something that I was raised with is not taking things for granted. And our industry's tough. It can be really brutal. And I think you have to um, be agile. And that's something that we've learned to be, is move when things aren't working. What are you not good at at work still? Oh, there's so many things. Number, I, I work tirelessly on, on spreadsheets and numbers. It's, it's not, I had to learn that on the job. Welcome to our house. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not, not, not my idea of fun. That, yeah. that said, I do love the business part. I love the strategy part. Um, and I love being able to go from one to the other. I'm curious because um, we certainly like 
early on especially had a lot of meetings with investors and um, people who thought they were Are you a private us, company? Yeah. 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 Uh, people who thought that. that they were giving us good business advice and told us to, you know, we should be the face of the brand but hire someone to run the business. <laughs> That's and just condescending and rude. <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, did you ever have a moment like that, like in any part I've of this I've had so journey? many moments like that where, you know, oh, you're, you're in PR. I, I just didn't listen. And you have to put your head down and know what you know. And what you don't know, you should also know that. Because when people pretend they know things and they don't, that's an issue. But um, I, as I said, had to learn on the job. But I was good at surrounding myself with excellent people. I, I think one of the things that we bonded over is um, how important we, we, the three of us, feel about get, making sure to get out the vote. Um, it is a Friday that we're talking to you. Danielle and I both look really tired, but I really like our outfits because we are wearing our Tory Burch voting t-shirts. Yes. Uh, thank you. Wearing them proudly. Um, why is this something that you decided to take on? Well, I decided um, several years ago when I realized how incredibly low voter turnout was, and It was interesting because I challenged uh, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and beyond to give uh, their employees time off to vote, which I thought should be a given, should be almost compulsory in my opinion. And that said, uh, many of them thought it was perceived as democratic. What, What I'm interested in is not telling people, Republican or Democrat, how to vote, who they should vote for, but I think having, being an American citizen gives us the privilege to vote. And I think it's super important that everyone is represented. So talk about these T-shirts and what you guys at Tory Burch are doing. So with our T-shirt, this this time around, we're, we're supporting Yara Shahidi's initiative, and that's 18 for 18. And she's an extraordinary young woman. She's yeah. just turned 18, and I find her inspiring. But also, it's nonpartisan as well. And I think that demographic and age group is, is hopeful. And I think uh, millennials, we need to step it up, as I'm sure you know. Where can people get these T-shirts? So they can get them online or, or in our stores. And, and we actually set up booths in our office to help register people to vote as well. Great. Great. Awesome. Well, that is something we definitely are excited to hear you guys doing. Great. It's very important. And I see it all over your offices as well. Yes, we are uh, very committed to our No Excuses platform. Um, of Our feeling is if you can't complain if you don't vote, right. so you got to go vote. Tori, thank you so uh, much. Thank you. Good luck with you guys. I'm really thank impressed you. with what you well, both have done. We are longtime fans um, and appreciate everything you've done. Thank you. And, and we're going to get a lot of people out to vote, right? Yes. We sure are, <laughs> because there are no excuses. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.